Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. A few of you did. If you've got them, open them to the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to spend some time in that today. That's not the only place we're going to be, but we are in the Ecclesia series um, where we are looking at what the church is according to Jesus. Um, a lot of people are saying what they would like the church to be, um, but it really doesn't matter what I think the church should be or you think the church should be, correct? Uh, it really, what really matters is what, does, what did Jesus originally dream the church to be? And how many people would just say with grace in your heart, um, this is not quite it? Anybody? Anybody? So, so you know what we're going to do? We're not going to get down on ourselves. We're going to be very hope-filled that if we're not yet where Jesus dreamt us being, that he's not finished with us and he is moving us onto some new and glorious places, right? How many people are all for becoming more of the kind of church that God wants us to be, right? All right, good. Good. Well, let me tell you about this, though. I, I really believe um, that... Uh, man, I've got a lot to say here in the beginning. I, I told you to turn to Acts chapter 2 because, you know, just to kind of anchor that there. I've got so much to say in the beginning. I could almost not never get there. But um, we are going to, this is the first time I've spoken here in a month. I have not been on a sabbatical. I've been speaking at other events out of state. I've been on a family vacation. Uh, last week, um, Philip, uh, uh, Pastor Philip spoke. Man, that was a, a, a very powerful word. I, I really love that. But I'm, I love being back here in the pulpit today. When I was up here and started out this series, we talked about Matthew 16, and we went to the very first place where the Bible uses the word ecclesia in the context of the church, and Jesus used it in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, I will build my church, ecclesia. I will build my gathering of called out ones, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we, we looked at that, and uh, we, we said that the church is built on Jesus, on this rock that is not on Peter. It is on Peter's profession of who Jesus is. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember this? I'm just recapping here. Um, so Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, well, on that rock, on that profession, not on you, Peter, but on what you said, I will build my church. So we see the church is built on Jesus. It's not built on powerful personalities. It's not built on, on super, super crazy gifted people. It's not built on, on, a, on a group of people that really know how to organize really well or really know how to communicate or really know how to administrate. It's not built on a group of people that have a really great facility. The church is built on Jesus and Jesus alone or it's not the church, all right? So we we said that. Then we said that not only uh, is the church built on Jesus, but Jesus made a very great and precious promise that he is building the church. He didn't say, I built the church like he did it once. He said he's building it, which means that we're in process and which means that he's not finished, which means that we shouldn't look at the church and, and barf a little. It means that we should look at the church and say, there's so much potential here. What a great group of potential filled people. This is wonderful. And then we said that Jesus owns the church because the church is built by those who are gathered in Jesus' name or who have been bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus, called out of the world, called out of darkness, called out of death, called, uh, called out of, of being an orphan and into the kingdom, sons and daughters of the light and of life. Those are the ones, and Jesus owns the church owns the church. 
Well, I don't know why that one didn't go over well. It's like, everyone's like, yeah, build on Jesus. Wow, Jesus is building the church. You know, Jesus owns the church. Like, I thought I owned the church. I just tithed. Oh, okay, no, it's just Jesus. Jesus owns the church, not you, okay? Um, and then listen to this. Nothing will prevail against the church. This is another promise. Then nothing will prevail against the church. Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And if Jesus had to say that, do you know, do you know why he had to say that? It's because the gates of hell will try to prevail. Can I get like super serious with you guys this, uh, this morning? Um, and super, uh, you know, this is usually not how pastors talk, but uh, here I, I hope we do increasingly. But I was viciously attacked this morning, not by any people, but just by the enemy in my mind. I was up this morning trying to pray about today and the enemy, I couldn't, I had to put some Julie True on, like she's like prayer room soaking worship, just to try to get the thought out of my head that Nathan, you should not be a pastor. You should not take the pulpit, you should not. And I couldn't get it out <laughs> this morning. And I'm just like, I can't even, I can't pray or can't anything until another pastor from another church sends me a prophetic word via text that says, uh, and I'm not gonna remember it exactly right now, but he basically said, you are a, uh, you, you are a physician with your words, you heal people with your mouth. <laughs> so yes. Guys, I, I'm telling you that the enemy comes in like a flood. God raises up a standard against him. It's the Bible, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't begin to lose hope when the enemy tries to prevail. He's going to try, all right, but he never will succeed. It has already been done at the cross. This is, this is not a guessing game now. What's done has been done, and the church is standing in that glorious reality, but we're kind of, we're caught in a, in a, 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 a zone here, <laughs> Well, we're still on heaven and we're, uh, we're still on earth. Heaven is crashing into earth, but it's not heaven yet, right? And so, man, what a, what a wonderful time to be alive. Now, this morning, that's what I talked about. That's how I started out the series. I do wanna say this. In the foyer, we have a resource center. And if you've noticed out there, we do have Prov merch, uh, but it's not just Prov merch. Um, it is also, we have a bunch of books and stuff out there. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at what God wants to do throughout the year. And we're trying to resource the church with, um, with books that go along with what we're teaching and preaching on. And so uh, a great, I wanna make a recommendation here, a great book to go along with this series, Ecclesia, is a book written by a great uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German uh, Lutheran who died in a Nazi concentration camp. Uh, when, when bombs were flying over the camp, he was the one guy fearless standing up like this in the middle of the concentration camp where bombs are going around. Everybody's scared except for Bonhoeffer, all right? And so he, was, uh, he died at 38 years old, but he left a massive legacy. And part of his legacy is a book out there called Life Together. And if you haven't read that, you really, really should. It's, it it, it really will accompany this series well. And, uh, and it's old. C.S. Lewis said, for every uh, one new book you read, you should read three or four old books. And so there's an old book for you. Uh, don't necessarily say I agree with every single last little thing, but uh, man, we got to sharpen each other. That's called discipleship, right? So, um, so I just want to encourage you to do that. But I want to talk uh, today <laughs> about... about um, a, a, I don't know, this is the word on my heart. I just wanna talk about the framework that the church is supposed to operate in today. And the framework that we're supposed to operate in is together, okay? That is the framework. 
So many of us, we, can, we, we feel like we can say, hey, I know that the church is built on Jesus. I know that Jesus is building the church. I know that Jesus owns the church. I know that nothing will prevail against the church. And I can do that from the comfort of my own home. Or I can do that with the comfort of my few friends that I know will never hurt me. Or I know that I, I, I can do that small. Let me tell you this. I think when we start dreaming about the church getting smaller instead of growing and people getting saved being added to us, yes, people that could hurt us, but people that are, that are coming to faith in Jesus, when our dreams become our family getting smaller, that is no longer a partnership with the heart of the Father. Yeah. All right, my son Ethan is going into 10th grade. All right, he's six foot five. I am often on the phone with college scouts already, uh, and he is at Spooky Nook right now. I just got word that they just won their third game. They're a 15U team. They are playing in a 16U tournament, and they're they're uh, seeded number one. All right, so. So the, uh, my, my son is doing really great in basketball, and I've, I've heard about some of his friends going to these, these schools where they actually kind of move there already, and we've, I've already been on the phone with college scouts saying, you know, do you know Jesus? Of course you can't have my son. You know, I'm having these re real important conversations, uh, and then I always end every conversation with show me the money, but uh, it, it's, uh, it's just like... Just kind of having the, these conversations, but um, I, one day in three years... My son is going to go off to college and he might play basketball or he's gonna do something great, but he's gonna move out of the house. And as challenging as it is to be a parent of a teenager, I am not looking forward to that day. How screwed up do you have to be to dream of the day your parents, your kids leave? Right? How, how messed up does your heart have to be to actually dream of the day that someone in your family would die? Move out where the family actually gets smaller. And I, it is, it is an obsession that we have in the church that all I hear, it seems lately, is people talking about how the church needs to shrink. Get into homes, stop gathering big. My question is, was that originally Jesus's dream? I love that someone screamed what from the front row. I, yeah, so like, what? Are you kidding me? Was, did Jesus actually dream of churches that were so scared of being hurt and, and so obsessed with just doing it easy in our homes because church is way easier when you just do it as a small group. Still difficult, still difficult, but when you gather bigger, there's bigger problems, there's bigger need, there's bigger bills, there's bigger everything. But the question is, does Jesus like that? Does he want that? Should our dreams actually be, how does the church get smaller and not, how do we reach people? How do we call them out of, out of, uh, you know, out of death and darkness into light and life? How, how do we do that? Like, where did evangelism go in the church? Where did people like D.L. Moody go that they say, for our inheritance, give us the lost. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to waste my whole life on just seeing people come to Jesus. Or that most, I think, statistically speaking, most church growth happens with disgruntled, hurt people from one church going to another one. And I just believe that Jesus is dreaming of the day where the church is so aflame with the gospel and, and so on fire with love that every environment they walk into, they walk in like a torch that burns in the hearts of people that need Jesus, right? All right. Well, I did my best, Jesus. Now it's on you. Uh, so, <laughs> yes. 
So, so listen, I, I want to talk about this today. I, I thought I was maybe going to talk about spiritual gifts in the church, but if we don't have biblical community down, spiritual gifts will, will kill us. All right, and then I was going to talk about leadership in the church, but it, if we don't have spiritual community down, um, we're we're going to see leadership as something other than it was supposed to be. Man, I'm so tempted just to talk about leadership in the church. I, okay, I'm going to listen. Listen, we think of leaders in the church like we think of our bosses at work. That's not how it's supposed to be. God's not looking first at are you a good communicator? Are you organized? Can you do a flow chart and a strategic plan well? That is that. That is what we've been taught by the world. But Jesus, when he's raising up leaders in, in the church, it's spiritual moms and dads that see greatness in somebody's heart that's willing to lay down their lives for the next generation. That's all it is. Someone that just hears the voice of God, an intimate knowledge of God, and is willing to waste their whole lives on other people. All right, so listen, if you don't properly, if we don't properly understand the church, we're not gonna properly use the church according to what it's supposed to be, right? And we talk about all the time, you know, church is a, is a house, not a restaurant. Well, if you have a, a theological understanding that the church is a restaurant, then you go to church to consume and to order, right? But, uh, but it's not a restaurant, it's a house. So when you walk into the house, you, you, you put your dishes gloves on and you begin to wash nast off dishes, all right? You begin to serve and you begin to, you don't sit down and order, you begin to take orders and you begin to serve. And so if we don't have a proper understanding of the biblical ecclesia and not what Harvard Business School has taught us what the church is supposed to be and how we're supposed to reach people, all right? Then we're just gonna, we need more power in the church. We need, we need Holy Spirit fire in the church where when we see people, we're not just frustrated and protective, but where our love given to us by God goes through all of that and we just see people and we hug them. That's why, listen, that's why it's important to me that that two-minute countdown, that we do that. You know, we're getting out of our seats and, and hugging one another because we didn't come to consume. We came... You should find somebody that needs a hug during that time. Yeah. You don't just sit in your seat and just like, I hate this. I hate him. I hate all that. Why am I here? My ears are ringing still from that song. <sighs> you know, it's just like, it's, just, it's great. It's great to stand up here and look out sometimes. You don't know that you're being seen. Oh man, yeah. But sometimes, sometimes honestly, like if, if you're in touch with kind of like what's happening in the spiritual atmosphere, you can step up here and feel what's happening in the room. And man, what, what like a civil war is happening during those two minutes. It's like some people are like, yeah, okay, give me a hug. And other people are like, how do I hide? And, uh, and you know, I just wanna say, that's good. If you came to church to hide today, you were very welcome. Just come hide, Jesus will find you. All right, I'm not, I'm not asking you not to hide. <laughs> you're welcome to hide here all you want. Sit in the back, leave early. I, I don't, I'm just glad you're here this much. I, I really, th that's how the church is supposed to be. Just come, just what, you're, there's, no, there's no pressure to come and begin to serve if you're not healthy enough to do that. The best thing the church can do, you, you are safe just to come and let Jesus find you. All right, so... All right, can we get to Acts chapter two now? All right, listen to this, guys. This is some of the most rich, wonderful. <laughs> uh, just, man, this paints a picture of Jesus's heart for the church. Here is the context. Acts chapter one, the Holy Spirit. Well, Acts chapter one, Jesus ascended to the Father. Uh, he tells the disciples to go back and wait. He doesn't send them out on mission yet. Do you know why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. 
And God's not sending us out on mission in our own power, our own strength. He's sending us out on mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Acts chapter two is the coming of, of the Holy Spirit. And this is when the church actually becomes the biblical ecclesia, when it is now filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to carry out the mission, okay? Now what happens then is Peter, and do you remember Peter? He was the one that says, he, supposedly that he, he made the declaration that the whole church is built on, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he's all, he's all you know, he's walking on water and he's doing stuff, but he's also um, actually denying Jesus. And Jesus kind of has to reinstate him as a shepherd. You, you read at the end of, of the gospels. But here Peter speaks the first Holy Spirit filled sermon. And, uh, and I, I, you, you should read this as the first part of Acts chapter two. And there's a, a band of about 120 um, people that are filled with the spirit now and, and, uh, and are, are the church and Peter preaches and 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. And so listen to this, listen to this. We've got some people that on, on Pentecost, there are 120 people waiting for, the, for the, the infilling and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And then one sermon later, 3,120, okay? Now to say that there wouldn't be some administrative nightmares there is a, is a thing, all right, but let me tell you how they handled all of this stuff, all right? Um, here's, here's what happened. Acts chapter two, starting with verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching <clears throat> and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Just, we, we like, if you've been raised in the church, you know that verse, but just let it, let's just sink in for a second. What do we do the day the spirit is poured out? What do we do that day one of the church actually being the church? What do we do when we've, when we've had a 3000% growth rate one day? All right. What do we do? <clears throat> well, we're going to devote ourselves to four things. We're going to de devote ourselves to good sound teaching, to fellowship, or that's word for koinonia, to the breaking of bread, which, which would mean uh, what we know as communion, but would also just mean straight up eating together, which is something we've totally lost. You know, you know why, like statistically, families don't eat together anymore and they're so busy they can't even sit down at a meal together one or two nights a week? <clears throat> it's because the enemy hates when Christians eat together. It's just simple as that. Eating together is extremely important, biblically speaking, especially at Chipotle. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah, I don't know what Chipotle did, but I, I think Revival's hitting. They, they've come back. It's like, what, what's happened to these guys? The guac is good again. It's just so, it's so stinking weird. Uh, but uh, man, but I do praise for that. Um, yeah, and, and the prayers. So that's what they did. That good teaching, koinonia, fellowship, eating together and praying together. That's what, this is, where did they teach that in, in the church growth movement? <laughs> you know what? Hey, when you have 3,000 people and yeah, say we build buildings and we do all this stuff and we rush and we rush and we try to figure out how to organize everybody. But if you're not organized around prayer and the <laughs> communion, good teaching and togetherness, it, your organization just leads to a business structure that does absolutely nothing for the kingdom. All right, now let's keep reading though. Verse 43, what happens is all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Look at 44, and all who believed were together. Now listen to this. 
listen to this. Here is the context that all these things are happening in. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, I want to stop us right there because some people, um, and this is weird. I'm going to veer for a second. I'm not trying to be political, but I do want to bring this up because I've just heard this too much. Some people say, hey, look, communism is, is, is biblical. They're all just selling their debt. Listen, they're not being forced to. Isn't, isn't the government telling them to? This is just love on display. Do I have something you need? I've got something you need. Oh, I've got something you need. You, you need a house? Take my house. Oh, yeah, I've got a car. I've got a horse. You need my horsey? Take my horsey. You know, i got a shirt. What, what do you need? I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm not ordering from you. I'm not trying to consume what you can give me. I'm actually here to serve you. That is, it is just kingdom on display, guys. All right, this isn't, this isn't political in any way or form. This is, this is just, this is just the, the, the kingdom looks weird to, to consumers, right? And, uh, and then look at 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And then look at this. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Now, I want us to look at this for, for one moment. Uh, day by day, attending the temple together. Um, this, listen one second. Um, statistically speaking, the average churchgoer shows up at a church gathering one time per month, okay? And our services at Providence are long, so we just, let's just call it two hours, affectionately two hours, okay? All right? Yeah, with grace. A grace-filled two hours, all right? Um, but then, uh, but a lot of church services are not, not even two hours. So let's just say, let's say one time a month for an hour and 45 minutes, you get together <laughs> with people. Now, what's happening here, that's how we do it today. What's happening here is day by day, they're attending the temple together. Every day they're going to the temple together. And now, now some people think, well, they're going in small groups and stuff. I got a picture. Did you guys get that picture that I sent in this morning? Did you get that? Uh, this was, uh, they're meeting probably in, in what's called Solomon's Colonnade or Solomon's Porch. And this is a picture of it right here. It didn't come out great. But you can see that it's quite a large space. Okay? So the, the daily gathering of the church together was massive. <laughs> They're, they're all getting together in the, in the thousands, <laughs> all right? And so we've got to see this. We, we room, you can take that off now. It's, I don't know, it's messing with my brains. Um, but uh, the, uh, uh, it's just so, it's so cloudy. Um, we, we romanticize the early church like everything was done in houses, but everything wasn't done in houses. They, they used the large gathering space as well. We, we cannot be blind to this, and it's celebrated, Okay, so there is, a, uh, there is a, a very important part of gathering large. There, there is. There's nothing wrong with getting everybody together. It's like Thanksgiving. It's like Christmas. It's like Sunday, Sunday meal. It's, it's not everything, guys. It's not everything. But there is a time where you get the aunts and uncles and all the relatives and everybody together and you celebrate it. That is not everything. Sometimes you get together with just your family. And so that's why we see this here day by day, attending the temple together. That's the large gathering and breaking bread in their homes. And then they get together in small ways. The, the reality was there wasn't anything keeping them apart. They just wanted to be together. This is, this is wildness. 
This is craziness. They just wanted to be together. The, the biblical framework, I, I think that we can say this biblically, that when Jesus imagined the church, what the Holy Spirit poured out on the church and what the church did is, or what the Holy Spirit did to the church is the Holy Spirit not only put a, a love and a fire for God in people's hearts, but the Holy Spirit put a love and a fire for one another in people's hearts and, and, and it put something in hearts where we don't wanna do this in isolation. We've gotta do this together as one. Right? It's, it's just the church, let, me, let me tell you this. I'm going to say it even, you know, I'll leave even more a little strongly. But the church was created to be life on life. One another. If you read the New Testament, you can barely escape one page that doesn't talk about how we treat one another. How we do life together with one another. The church was created to be life on life. The church wasn't created to be a product that you can consume digitally. All right? No, now I love the live stream. Live stream people, yo, 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 wherever you are out there, I hope your hearts are stirred for Jesus. I really do. And these are days, man, what a gift that we have. You miss church for some reason, you miss the gathering for some reason, you can watch online and still kind of know what's going on in the family. It's like if you can't be home for Christmas and someone Skypes you in, it's beautiful, but it's not a substitute for the dream in God's heart for church. And the church is that you would see someone smell their breath, feel them, <laughs> feel them. And I smell breath this morning, all right? It's not always great. First breath was my own. And then I, I had to get, give me the gum. I'm breathing on people here. That is how it's supposed to be. You don't dress up and share your fake perfection, all right? You, you just come as you are and be the church, all right, you're supposed to gather like on a, on a screen. Have you had like a, uh, have, I, I saw, I've never done this before, uh, but I've seen commercials where there's people that are in like business meetings like via Zoom and they're wearing a suit up here and then just their boxers down here, you know what I'm saying? And they stand up accident, but this guy just starts pouring coffee to, I don't know what commercial that was, all right? But like you, you can fake it digitally, all right? You, you can't when you show up in somebody's life, all right? You, you, and, and honestly, listen, this is how Jesus likes it. He likes you being exposed. He likes you coming. And you're, if your Christian life is built on your ability to perform, all right, then it's not deep. And there's gotta be people that you're allowed to fail around, that you're allowed to mess up around. And, you know, and then you humble yourself around those people and those people are close enough to Jesus to extend you grace. And there's got to be that kind of thing or discipleship isn't happening, church isn't happening. Some weird form of something weird is happening. It will never satisfy your heart. That is not what God designed us to do. So day by day, they're attending the temple together. There's a way that God meets us in large gatherings that nothing else is like, all right? And then there's a way that God meets us in small gatherings that nothing else is like. Here, it's not, do you like big church or small church? It's just, you have to figure out how you're gonna do both, all right? You just have, we just have to figure that out. We gotta, we gotta you know, have small groups of people that you welcome into your life and you do life with, and then we gather and we, and you know what? Waving across the room, I know this side of the room rarely talks to this side of the room, and that's next Sunday at the two-minute thing, or maybe even after this service, like, let's cross-pollinate, all right? Let's even switch sides someday. Like, let's, let's not get into our ruts. Let's not just, just have our assigned seats here. You know, we have to learn to know each other. But do you know what? It is totally acceptable in the church 
to wave at someone across the room that you don't know. And that should make you excited, not PO'd. Do you hear this? Guys, if there's somebody that's been reached that you don't even know, that means someone else reached them and they're in church and, got, and, they're, and they're within a gathering that, that, and you have nothing to do with it. Why would you not be excited? Like, God, you're so big. You're like, you're reaching people that I don't even know. Like, what? Listen, if you don't know them, introduce yourself to them. Guys, don't be angry. <laughs> but the reason I'm saying this with, with such passion is because I feel this thing all the time. Like, Nathan. We're not being the church. We don't even know each other. Well, I, there's people at church I don't even know. And I always say, great. That's wonderful that you don't know everybody. And you disagree. I hear that. It's all right. Think about it biblically for a second. Listen, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe God's expectation on every single one of us is that we have to have an intimate knowledge of every single person that comes in this facility. Maybe I was very, very wrong, but maybe I wasn't. All right? Listen, listen, we have to, we have to be excited about what God is doing in the world, even outside of our little one, all right? And, and it's the, in the context of togetherness. Man, you know that you have more in common with somebody in this room that you don't know uh, in Christ than somebody that you've been working with for 12 years that is not in Christ. Do you know that? Yeah, you do. If there's someone here that's put their faith in Christ and you don't know them, they've never been to your house, you've never had a conversation with them, but you know that they're saved. You all have Jesus in common, the cross in common, the blood of Jesus, all of his promises, your sons and daughters, you have a lot in common. And it's really, 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 really good. So it's interesting then that in this context, all who were believed were together. Day by day, they're attending the temple together and house to house. They're eating together. They are living together. Um, that in this context, favor is poured out and salvations are happening. Isn't that great? You know, you know what I think? Um, I've, I've been into some statistics lately and when you see the, uh, statistically how many people are leaving the, the church, um, it is... Uh, potentially discouraging. Um, but uh, what I think that people are running from, I, I, I think usually people are not running from Jesus. I know some people are running from Jesus, but I think usually what people are running from is the church not doing life together in a good, healthy, whole way. And people see the church not doing life together and hating one another and backbiting and slandering and gossiping. And then you get slimed in your own soul by their weird stuff. And then, and then you start feeling bad because they got injured. And like, it just gets, it's a huge, vicious, malicious mess. And I think the, the, the outside world is not favoring that kind of a weird church. But you know what I think that would happen if the church actually got it together and we said, we have Jesus in common, that is enough. We're gonna love each other. We're gonna be in covenant community together. I'm gonna get to that in just one moment with a few minutes I have left. And we're, we're gonna work it out together. We're not gonna leave each other. You know, I think the outside, cause that's very countercultural. It's just very kingdom culture. We're not leaving each other because we hurt each other. Okay, we're not leaving each other because we don't have everything in common. All right, you know, one of the best things you can do if you're like 25 years old is, is go out to dinner with a 70 year old. All right, like, so we keep, we have a group for this and a group for this and a group for this. We're trying to get everybody together that's the same. You need to get in the, the church was not designed to flourish that way. Get together with people outside of your season that have different things that have walked with Jesus for decades longer than yourself and just feed off of them, all right? So I think if the outside world saw us doing that, the favor of God would begin to rest on the church 
again. And I think that we would start to see that we don't have to do pizza parties to see people saved. We just need to be the church and people are going to run to Jesus in a, in a healthy church that is operating in covenant, not, not just life stage. Okay. All right. Listen, listen to this. Cause this is, you know, here's, here's a couple stats since the year 2000, the number of atheists and agnostics have doubled. Okay. And, uh, and I gave you a bunch of stats the, the last time I preached about four weeks ago um, that are staggering. That just, in, in my opinion, uh, speaks to a disunified church where people are out trying to promote themselves and have lost, they, they've lost us, they've lost togetherness, they've lost fighting for each other's reputations, they've lost a lot of stuff, and Jesus just doesn't bless that with favor, okay? Listen to this, though. Um, Ephesians chapter five, I don't have this on the screen. You can turn there in your Bibles, but listen to this for a moment because I think many times we think about the church in, in the context of how do we give everybody exactly what they want? <laughs> and, and here, and so we, we look at church like business and we look at church like how do we market to different people, moms, dads, uh, young adults, junior hires, whatever. L listen to this for a second. That is, that is man, that, that's exhausting. I've been there, done that, it sucks. All right, listen to this. Ephesians chapter five, verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That word hold fast there is the word that we get, uh, that we get from the word that we uh, get for concrete. It's like when you take water and a mixture and combine them and they become something new that cannot be separated. So it's basically saying, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. It's basically the, the, the man and wife are concreted together, spiritually speaking. Okay. And, and Paul says this. A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. This mystery is profound. This mystery of a man and a woman coming together, being concreted together, becoming one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that refers to Christ in the church. Guys, the reason that I'm, I'm sharing that with you um, about using marriage as this inseparable bond that is supposed to be, in our culture, listen, yeah, I know divorce is a huge thing and there's all kinds of forgiveness and there's all kinds of grace, but the way that Jesus dreamed marriage is that two people, even if they have irreconcilable differences, they battle it out, all right? And they're in covenant keeping relationship. And if Jesus can do all things, he can save your marriage, yeah. all right? And so, so that, is the, that is the dream that, that, that Jesus had for marriage. And then he's saying, this wasn't about two people in love. That, that is just the best illustration I can have. That is just showing the kind of relationship Jesus is saying that I wanna have with the church. Two starry-eyed lovers coming together and in, and in covenant commitment, starting a new family and loving one another. No, no matter what kind of kids are produced, no matter what challenges they have. Like the, these two people are starting a new thing and I'm saying this is a mystery. Nobody gets this except by the spirit, but I'm saying I'm talking about the kind of relationship Jesus is saying that I want to have with my bride, the church. 
the church. And now we shop for church. We've, we've so devalued it. It's just like, no, nah, not going there, not going there, not going there. We have not shown the world what covenant-keeping love is like. Our songs are more about the love of Jesus, but our lives just don't mirror that. We, love is hard. Do you know how hard it is to be hurt by somebody and then just go give them a hug? Extend grace. Do you know how hard that is? Do you know how hard it is to have your heart ripped out thousands of times over decades? That's what happens in church. So that's what happens in family. And it's supposed to be hard. And you're supposed to get hurt. Because in that pain, it's an invitation to extend grace and show the world Jesus. That's what your life is supposed to be about. This is where did church suddenly... And the American church, where did it suddenly become a place where it has to be safe? Do you know where we've come from? Do you know how many hundreds and thousands of people have burned at the stake because they wouldn't cough up their own Bibles? The church is never supposed to be safe. It's supposed to be the dangerous family on the planet. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be the tip of the sphere, leading with love, forgiving without any other thought. That's, that, that's a glorious and healthy bride. That shows the world the kind of relationship that God wants to have with them. But if it's this kind of like shopping for this or that, no, they, and you know, kind of thing, guys. I wouldn't want to be a part of that either. We could do a home church, right? And that's what the, a lot of the world is opting for. And I feel like we're missing the heart of God. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2, 47, the favor of God on the church and the salvations happening daily uh, in the church. It's, it's, it's supposed to be this beautiful thing, not easy, but love, not easy, but beautiful, not easy, but covenant keeping. So the early churches, they're devoted to one another. They're devoted to together. And, and they are devoted to together, we're gonna learn. Apostolic teaching, we're devoted to learning that. We're devoted to sitting under good teaching, good sound teaching. And so I, I might be rushing this a little bit, but I just want to tell you, Sunday mornings at Providence is, is not enough teaching for us to survive on, okay? It's just not. And so that's why I'm really, and I, I see that this is, no, this is no slap, but this is like a, a thing, like a dad part of my heart for this church. We don't know the Bible here well at all. Okay, and, and that's not a slap. That, that's an encouragement to grab a Bible. We've got an ESV study Bible for sale in the resource center. If you can't afford one, Chris Dupre will pay for it. All right, um, the, uh, you know, or Philip or somebody's gonna pay for that thing. All right, but uh, it, it is an encouragement to read this love letter that we get, but we have to know it if we're gonna survive. And so we've gotta have more good teaching. We gotta be men and women of the scriptures and we have to go there. And so uh, sometime in the future, earliest fall, but probably uh, early 20s, 2023, we're going to start a Wednesday night service here on the hill. We're just, going to, we're just going to teach, and we're going to have time, and we're going to practice what we've been learning. We're going to see what the Holy Spirit wants to do on Wednesday nights. Do you know that, that you can't, if, at Providence, you can't gather unless uh, 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. That's the only time that we have to all gather together, and we just feel like we need to make another one. We need to teach really well and sit under the scriptures and sit under people that are gifted to communicate them. So apostolic teaching. and then But then fellowship. This word, uh, they're, they're they're, it's not like they're committed to just teaching. They're committed to these four things. They're committed to teaching, but they're also committed to fellowship. And this word fellowship is the word koinonia. 
I'm going to tell you, many of us have heard this word before if we grew up in the church, but it's a Greek word. The definition of koinonia is basically sharing or or participating. It's a participation, okay? And uh, basically what this comes down to is a participation in lives together. I'm participating. I'm sharing my life with you, and you're sharing your life with me. We're participating in life together, and that is what's called koinonia. It's not feeling like we're close friends. It's not goosebumps. It's not anything like that. It's a participation in life life together. And so uh, maybe we are doing our best to start uh, what we're calling community groups, small groups here. And we've got a few of them going, but it's not enough. All right. Um, But if you are interested in beginning to do life with some people and and you're ready to get connected at Providence and maybe feeling unconnected, in July, we're starting what we're calling a starter group. It's a six-week group. You get to sit down with myself, Stevis Palmer, some of the leaders. We're just going to invest in you, pour into you. And for six weeks, we're going to start something and see if that turns into something really beautiful. And we're going to be committed to you getting connected and doing life together. Does that sound nice? Koinonia times? All right. All right. And then, then break, the, the breaking of bread. You know, if I could give you uh, one thing to do after this message, if you don't need to repent, all right? <laughs> if I give you one thing, I would say, pick up the phone, invite someone over to your house and eat with them. All right? The breaking of bread. We need to do communion more together. We haven't done it since Good Friday here. All right? And, and not many people came to the Good Friday service. And we just need to, do, uh, we need to do the breaking of bread and communion more, but we also need to do the breaking of bread and just koinonia meals. Like we're just getting together, we're just loving on one another, we're looking at each other across the table, we're putting our phones down, and we're just, we're just being present together. It, it, like, listen, listen, get on the phone and call somebody and make this happen. We can do this, guys. You know how many ways there is to communicate? You can snap somebody, you can text somebody, you can email somebody, you can Insta somebody, you can, uh, if you're old, you do Facebook. It's just like you did, there's all kinds of ways to like message people. There's all kinds of ways, God, <laughs> guys, at our fingertips to do life together. But instead, the, the, the tool is turning into the treasure. And we actually have to use the tool to get into people's lives, all right? And then, and then prayer together. Like, listen, listen. I, we've tried to organize prayer, and this prayer, a week of prayer, a day of prayer, fasting this, 40 days. It doesn't work unless we want to pray. I would just say, start praying as a person. Start praying with your family. Just start praying with people in your life. This morning, as Ethan was about to leave, my son was about to leave for his, his tournament. My wife and I just came in. We sat on the couch. We laid hands on the boy. We just prayed blessings over this boy. It's just d- dependence on God in prayer. So key and so, so important. Listen to this. This is, this is a, a passage of scripture that absolutely uh, rocked my life this week. This is Romans. It just continues to paint uh, a picture of Jesus' heart for the church. But uh, this is what he wants. Romans chapter 12, starting with verse nine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. That's the church. And seek to show hospitality. That's picking up the phone, inviting someone to your house and loving on them, like being a hospital for their hearts. Bless those who persecute you. Man, now it's getting really spiced. Yeah, are we, are we sure, Jesus, do we don't want to just close the book right here? We have to bless people that hurt us? Well, if you want to be a Jesus church, you do. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And curse them doesn't mean saying swear words. 
to them only. It's, it's judging them in your hearts. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I showed up on the scene at a place, people I didn't know, a dad had just put a, a shotgun in his mouth and ended his life. And I showed up for a family I did not know. And I, I had no clue what to say. I'm asking for a word for the Holy Spirit, I had nothing to say, so I just, I just stood there, wept with a family, didn't even know. Guys, it's presence ministry. It's presence ministry. And presence ministry is, is not just enjoying the, the presence of the Spirit. If you enjoy the presence of the Spirit, you can, you can be a carrier of that into other places where the presence is not. All right, come on, guys. It is not, it's not this complicated. We can show up in people's lives. We don't always have to perform for them. We can just be with them. Come on, guys, live in harmony with one another. I love this because uh, harmony is two different notes that are designed to work together in the same direction. It's not, it's not be exactly the same. It's like we have the potential to harmonize together, to make a beautiful sound as a church. But usually what the world is hearing is this, ah, ah, ah. and we have the potential to live in harmony together. The sound that the church can make to the world that would be glorious to the ears of Jesus. Man, I want to taste that and live that. Come on, guys, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Like, if possible, it's not gonna be possible with everybody. Some people are just gonna like speak to the hand. It's gonna be 10 years till you ever talk to them again. Okay, that's gonna happen some, but many of us give up before we've sent a text. Oh, it's not possible. No, no. It, it, it was possible, you just never reached out. Guys, come on. Like it is, there, there, more things are possible, relationally speaking, than, than, we, than we would just dare and have the courage to walk into. Beloved, look at verse 19, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. See, this is the way of the kingdom. This is what the church is supposed to look like, smell like, feel like, taste like. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. And if you're motivated by burning coals on somebody's head, I think you're missing the point of the passage. All right? Just, you know, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, being murdered for something he didn't do, his heart cry was, Father, forgive him. Right, that is the heart cry here. You know what, you've hurt me. I'm just gonna bless you, you need a meal? You need to babysit your kids? What do you need? You've hurt me bad. Let me give you something for free. And look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Man, if we were just quick to say sorry, if we were just quick to extend grace and give hugs and kisses and everything, you know? It's interesting that Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. I have not been kissed recently, all right? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kissless, all right, all right? So my wife would love to change that, uh, but uh, I, I know. But it's, it's just, what, what this is just saying, I think that's a cultural thing. I think what it's saying, I want you to operate in affection towards one another. The same way that the Father has affection towards you. That's, and he's reproducing the life of Jesus in your life. And I can just picture Jesus hugging his disciples. Nugian, <laughs> Peter, you're such, oh. I'm not finished with you. I, I'm gonna like, you know, you say good things and you do the opposite, but you know what? I just love you so much. It's, it's, that's how it's like to be a, a parent of a teenager. We can't, we can't lose it, guys. We gotta pick up phones. We gotta, we gotta prioritize meals together. We just have to, we have to get, like, listen, listen, guys. 
this is, we don't have to organize this until we're exhausted. We, we just have to uh, smile at someone from across the way. We, ju- we just have to take initiative. The, the, the kind of church where you pay a staff to do everything for you is just not church. The church is going to facilitate and create environments and stuff like that, but you've, you've got to take initiative. <laughs> you've got to be intentional. You gotta, I'm going to be Jesus today. I didn't come to order. I came to serve. Guys, so I think that some of you are really going to find some good relationships and just get in a starter group. I think it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know the date on this one, but it's July something. Just go to the Connection Center. Jordan Ilias is a wonderful man, and he would just love to, uh, he and his wife, Alicia, would love to just connect you, give you the, the information that you need. Some of you, though, um, you've never been baptized. You put your faith in Jesus, but you've never been baptized. In the New Testament, when you were saved, you just got baptized. There wasn't these like year gaps. It's not like, well, I'm going to heaven following Jesus. I don't know when I'll get baptized. Like that type of understanding was, com- was completely non-existent in the early church. Just like if you're saved, you're getting baptized. And sometimes it's just one and the same. You're putting your faith in Jesus while you're being baptized because baptism is not saving you. It's showing the world what Jesus has already done in your heart. He's, he's raised you from death. That's under the water to life. That's out of the water. When Christ rised, you were raised, all right? But what baptism also is, is it is telling the people, this is why you don't do it in secret. You do it in public. Get as many people around as you can because you're telling Christians, I'm with you to the end, all right? And so next week, we're just gonna baptize people. And uh, some of you just need to do that. Let me tell you one thing. I'm a few minutes over, but let, let me just tell you uh, one last thing. I was, um, well, I was speaking at a Haiti Bible Mission event out of state um, in Florida. Okay, I'm just going to say it. And uh, my wife and I went on a walk, and I was walking with my flip-flops on, and it started to rain, so it got a little slippy. And, um, and so in my flip-flops, they're, they're old, and I don't know what happened, but... Um, I, I slipped in the rain in these flip-flops and the front part of the right of my right flip-flop bent under. Uh, it kind of was bent. And so what happened is, is the cuticles on my toes just drug on the ground as I tried to save myself from falling, okay? So I was pushing hard, dragging my cuticles on the ground. It's like Chinese torture, right? So uh, it was, it's very like, yeah, it's, it hurt a lot. And I remember I, I, I came and I didn't fall, but now my, my feet are instantly bleeding because I just cut my, my cuticles on my, on my right foot. And I'm, I'm walking and, and the, I, not swearing or anything, but like, I, it sounded like, like Native American tongues was coming out of me. I was just like, oh yeah. You know, I was just like, ha, ah. you know, I was, it was, it was so much pain there. But do you know what, do you know what happened when that pain happened is suddenly, and this is, this is so strange guys. This is why his pain sometimes is a gift. Suddenly my wife and I had one of these rare opportunities just to walk together. I just slipped. This pain is happening. I'm speaking Native American tongues. And suddenly I am very, uh, what rose right to the surface was stuff that I just needed to talk to my wife about that I was upset about. Boom, right there. So pain became a gift. It surfaced the stuff. Pain is not always, I wrote this in in, in worship this morning. Pain is not always a reason to leave. It is an invitation to heal. You hear this? Many times we think, oh, since it hurt, that must be an open door to leave. No, heal. Oh, no, I thought, I gotta get away from the pain. No, you get into healing. You're gonna slip again and you're just, you're not, you've gotta heal it. The, the, the place won't fix it. So I just wonder, like, 
Like, what if we, what if we stop the dumb cycle that is, that is almost like rejecting the favor of God and is actually making the church want to run from us? And what if, what if where there is pain, we invite the healing touch of God? That's what we need to do this morning, guys. You should not leave this place and you should not walk out of these doors with church pain that you don't bring to God and leave right here. That you don't say, hey, you can have this washed in the blood. You, yeah, and in fact, can we just have the prayer team come up here? I'm, I'm feeling this really, really heavy. I know that we just, we're, we're going like uh, over again, but man, man, what, what, a, what a gift that the spirit would wanna give to us that you could come and you could just say, hey, here's how I've been hurt by the church. And let me tell you this, guys, listen, I've been a pastor for uh, two decades of my life. All right, I know how churches hurt people sometimes. I know how people hurt churches sometimes. And, and you know, there, there's not one group that's right. But I also know that churches um, are slow to, uh, if you need to pray with someone right here, just, just come as I'm talking. But I know that churches are, all, are slow to say sorry. Usually leadership in churches kind of takes this hard position that we can do no wrong. I just wanna say, as a pastor, guys, churches don't always get it right and people get hurt in churches. And I just wanna say as a pastor, maybe I wasn't the pastor who hurt you, but maybe I look like one who did, all right? I just wanna say, I am on, on the behalf of the church, I just wanna say sorry for any way that you've been hurt, for any way that you've been just used up like a piece of firewood and then just you're just gone and you're dry. And we haven't guarded your heart and we haven't really pushed you to Jesus, we just used you or just hurt you. And so I just wanna say sorry for that. But I also wanna say it's not an excuse to have a withered soul. And Jesus, if you're feeling pain right now, listen, like the prodigal, run to the father this morning. Come to just, ah, guys, just come now. Would you just come now? Would you be brave? And would you start a new cycle of, of, uh, of healing instead of pain, right? As I'm praying, come. Heavenly Father, would touch people right now. Meet them right at, at the place of pain. Would you meet them, God? And would today be a, play, a time of genuine healing? Genuine healing, God for all the hurt, for all the stuff, God. I pray, I, I, I just feel in the room right now that it's almost like uh, the pain for some people has become their identity and they wanna hold on to it, God. Pry it out of hands, I pray, God, today. Just let there be a, a release of pain that's keeping us away from each other, God. Just, just whatever it was, it's not bigger than Jesus. And Holy Spirit, you're calling us into, into wholeness in these days. You wanna pour out healing in these days, God. Let us, let us not hold bitterness and cancerous stuff in our bodies. We just release all of that stuff right now. In Jesus' name, we just give it to you. We give it to you, God. We just bless you. Just take it. Some of us, God, some of us, we can't release it. It's become our identity. It's actually a pain trophy. We've got the pain from somebody like, like on, the, on the wall of our hearts and we, we go to it. It's almost, it's almost comforting right now in a perverse way. So God, I just pray that you, you would bring, um, you bring health and wholeness and take trophies off shelves and that the only trophy in our hearts would be Jesus high and lifted up. The Holy Spirit wanting to burn all of that, all that stuff and bring health and wholeness. Pray this God in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I just want, I want to keep it like this. Don't like, just kind of feel, just keep playing and don't like do stuff with lights and stuff and just kind of leave. Like just, I just feel like, like maybe sometimes, 
when you're hurt, it's hard to run to the front. So, and I totally get that. So just at least for the next 15 minutes, we just wanna serve you with a, a place where you can come and you can get prayer. I'm telling you that uh, that prayer ministry from somebody else together, and it's not pulling away and trying to figure it out on your own, but pressing into somebody who's just gonna be there and cry with you and love on you and pray for you is, is going to do something in your heart and your life. Amen, do we know that God's doing good stuff? We ready to get, just give him all of our stuff, right? Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.